Hi friends, welcome back to the Health Forward Podcast. I'm your host, Elena Davis, and I'm glad you're here. If you are not aware, March is Endometriosis Awareness Month, and as someone with endometriosis, I take this opportunity to spread awareness about this condition seriously. So for the remaining episodes in March, I'm sharing the stories of different women in my life who I know personally who also have endometriosis. One of the things that makes endo so complex is the wide variety of symptoms and experiences that a woman with endometriosis can have. Studies show that it takes an average of seven years to be diagnosed with this condition because the symptoms vary so widely and because unfortunately, women experiencing endo symptoms are often either dismissed as being dramatic or just given treatments in an attempt to relieve the symptoms without really exploring the cause. And so it takes much longer to actually discover that there's endometriosis going on. Currently, endometriosis can only be officially diagnosed by laparoscopic surgery, which obviously is an expensive and difficult diagnostic avenue. So it can really delay women getting that diagnosis and getting the care that they need. You will hear in these stories that I'm going to share over the next couple episodes, many similarities, but also many differences, different ages, some with severe pain, some without, some with fertility struggles, some without, some have had surgeries and some have used other methods to manage their symptoms. There isn't a one size fits all experience for a woman with endometriosis, but it's so important to be educated and informed about what this condition can look like, the options available for treatment, as well as the pros and cons of those options. And most importantly, at least in my opinion, how to support your body through the process of dealing with the disease, managing the symptoms, and support your ability to live your life without debilitating symptoms. So let's jump into these stories. The first one you're going to hear today is from my friend Kelly. As you will hear, she is pretty early on in her diagnosis, but has experienced symptoms for over a decade, really severe and disrupting symptoms. Her story is one that really inspires me to keep spreading awareness about this condition so that other women can receive a diagnosis and the care that they need earlier and not have to wait years and years as she has. And I'm just very thankful for her willingness to share. So here is my conversation with Kelly. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for being here today and spending some of your time with us and sharing your story with us. We're really hoping that just this helps raise awareness and just highlights how different everyone's story and experience with endometriosis is. And so I really appreciate you sharing yours. But before we get into it, will you kind of, you've been on the podcast before, so you guys can go back and listen to uh, her previous episode, but um Give us just a little reintroduction to yourself, who you are, what you do, all that stuff. Yeah. So thank you for this opportunity to kind of share my story. And um, yeah, my name's Kelly and I'm a 29 year old um, that works in data analytics at a local hospital here in Tennessee. So I'm used to looking at computer screens all day and sitting a lot, uh, but that's me. And I, I really enjoy walking and being outdoors and doing yoga. So mm-hmm. those are my 
fun things I love to do. Yes. I love those things too. That's so fun. And when she says data, like that means she's very smart. We (laughs) used to work together, so I know exactly what she does. (laughs) So she's very good at her job. So kind. So when thinking about endometriosis, you know, as I've said, everyone's story is a little bit different, but there definitely seems to be some like similar threads through, you know, everyone's experience. And so tell me a little bit about like, when did you start experiencing symptoms and and what were they? I remember being very young, probably age 13, 14, maybe my very first period. Um, just the, the cramps were extremely debilitating. Um, I would have to miss school, um, miss events. I was in bed or in the floor, crawling on the floor, throwing up, um, all the things, but really it was just that first, the very first day of my period. Yeah. Um, other than that, you know, I would just bleed as normal and mm-hmm. bleed for five, six days and it was kind of normal. But the, the very first day of my period was always really bad. And that's as far back as I can remember. Yeah. So. From the beginning. Yeah. And then you said, so the first day or first like half of that day would be really bad. And then it would kind of be normal for you after that? Yeah. I mean, and when I say normal, before working with Elena and kind of figuring out what's normal and what's not, um, you know, I was bleeding pretty heavily. I was having pain areas that I probably shouldn't be having pain, like my back, Mm -hmm. my groin, um, Mm -hmm. way outside of, you know, the uterus feeling. So Back then, I kind of thought that was normal, but right. now I know that, you know, that's not, Yeah, that may be typical, but it's not normal. Yeah. Yes, common, but not normal. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, so what about in between, like during your cycle? I can't remember um, from when we've talked before. Did you have like mid-cycle pain, ovulation pain, or like IBS symptoms or anything like that, um, not during your period? maybe some mild bloating or Mm -hmm. maybe some mild little pinch feelings during ovulation, but nothing that was slowing me down at all. You know, right. Nothing that I thought, wow, this is a problem. I've got to figure something out. Something's going on. Yeah. So for you, really, it was during those, those first couple like day or so of your cycle. And then you had like nausea, extreme pain to the point of blacking out sometimes like extreme right yes yeah yeah definitely not normal cramps should not make you throw up and or (laughs) and or uh blackout in any way and so you've already kind of alluded to this a little bit but like how did this affect your life especially growing up like as a teenager and then even as you know an adult professional who had to work a full-time job Yeah. I mean, when I was younger, it was more of, well, Kelly misses one day of school a month, you know, it's guaranteed. Um, And then I was always having to plan around that, that one day, you know, Mm -hmm. and I was taking painkillers as much as I could and doing all the heating pads and tried all kinds of different things. Um, But then, you know, my parents, my mom took me to the doctor and they gave me birth control pills, Mm. which, you know, taped over the symptoms for 10, 11 years. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, I started learning about 
natural solutions um, and wanted to explore that because, you know, one day I'd like to have a child and yeah. I'm recently engaged. And so uh, that it's important to me to kind of get that, get that all straightened out before right. trying to have a baby. Right. So when you started on the birth control, it kind of suppressed the symptoms like they weren't as affecting your life every month, right? Yeah. So I kind of lived a normal life for those 10, 12 years. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And then when you decided to come off to try to, you know, heal things a little bit more naturally and to start really thinking about your fertility, did it come right back? Those symptoms that you had experienced previously? I had two or three months of, wow, you know, um, this is great. I'm not feeling anything wrong. And then boom, it hit me like a ton of bricks, the same debilitating cramps, um, you know, and pain. So, but during all of this time, like the time, the pain going on birth control, coming off birth control, pain coming back, you didn't really know what was going on. Like you, you didn't know you had endometriosis at that point, correct? Right. Yeah. I had no clue. Um, doctors would just tell me, you know, it's just your bad luck and <laughs> mm-hmm. this is how you're going to have to deal with this by taking this pill and there's no other solutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're too young to have a hysterectomy. And so, mm-hmm. and I didn't want that. So right. yeah, I had no clue. Yeah. So then how did you start to piece together or how did you start to suspect that might be what was going on? Yeah. Um, I just kind of did my own research a little bit on, because I was already interested in natural health and integrative Mm -hmm. health solutions and stuff like that. So I just kind of did my own research and, and looked into it and I kind of lined up with a lot of the symptoms of endometriosis and that led me to, trying to find someone to help me, which led me to Elena. Mm-hmm. And that was the start of piecing all of that together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Cause I know when we started working together, you, yeah, you were already kind of like, it might be this, it might be this, it might be this, you know, cause a lot of endometriosis symptoms can overlay with PCOS or overlay with fibroids or, you know, kind of um, other pelvic pain syndromes. And so sometimes it's hard to you know, differentiate, um, especially in the beginning. And so, yeah, when we started working together, you were kind of already thinking that might be what it was. And then as definitely, as we got into your symptoms, it was like, okay, okay. Yes. Yeah. All of these are, um, very much lining up with common, you know, symptoms of endometriosis. So where did you go from there? What course of treatment have you decided to do, or have you been doing since you've realized that's what's going on? So part of the struggle is when you go to your OBGYN, you know, I had been to the same one for several, several years since I was first put on birth control. Um, And he never offered any other solution other than birth control. So I've got to find someone else, you know, that is willing to work with me and be a partner with me and trying to, you know, find a solution for this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, the first thing I did at your recommendation actually was to find a different physician, mm-hmm. um, which she was open to doing an ultrasound and she, you know, offered me the pills and I, you know, kindly said, look, I'm trying to work on my fertility and looking yeah. to have a family in the future. Um, so she wasn't 
overly pushy, but also not super willing to kind of run labs and things like that. Mm. Um, the ultrasound, I, I did have that done. Um, but now I am looking for, you know, someone that can really basically help me have surgery. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> because, someone who's more specialized in, yes, in, um, yes. endometriosis, because for those of you who, who may not know, who are not familiar with this, the kind of gold standard in treatment of endometriosis is surgical excision. And so that's not the only treatment option. Like Kelly's already mentioned, birth control can sometimes help suppress symptoms. And so when you're kind of in the middle of misery and hurting all the time and you need something, um, or if surgery is not an option for you at the time because of schedule, money, um, you know, proximity to a surgeon, all of that stuff, then birth control can be a, um, an option that you can, can do. What we know is that it doesn't actually do anything to solve the problem or, um, you know, it basically just kind of calms your body's responses down because it shuts down your reproductive system for a time. And then once just as in Kelly's case, once things kind of come back on, everything's still there. The problem has not gone away in any way. Um, and sometimes, unfortunately it can actually be getting worse during that time. Um, and so, you know, a lot of times, especially if fertility's a concern of yours, then surgery is typically the preferred method of dealing with it. And there's no cure. There's no like getting rid of it forever kind of situation. But um, most studies show that excision surgery is most helpful for both relieving symptoms and preserving fertility. So um, how has that process been for you in trying to find a physician to either offer to do a uh, laparoscopic um, excision surgery um, or even just to find it, right? Just to give you like a full official diagnosis. I mean, from your symptoms and experiences, you fully line up with that. And so, um, but from a surgical official standpoint, how has that been trying to find a physician for that? It's been kind of frustrating because it's kind of like, well, why don't you just take this pill? You know, mm -hmm. we have the solution, just take the yeah. pill um, or, you know, take a high dose of ibuprofen or, and, right. you know, and in a lot of women's cases, I, and especially in mine, the ibuprofen doesn't touch it. Yeah. Um, the, the NSAIDs don't touch it. You know, right. it's kind of like, I'm throwing up. I can't take mm -hmm. anything. Yeah. I um, can't even keep anything down. That's not going to help me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and two, do it, even doing an ultrasound, um, in my case, it didn't really show anything. Right. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's right. not outside of the uterus where they're not right. looking. Where they're not looking. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's been a little tough to, one, get a physician to kind of hear me out and say, look, this is not normal for me to be having this much pain. Um, but you know, I, I don't feel like completely let down. I feel like there are, you know, because I got in touch with Dr. Keenan and mm -hmm. he's willing to see me and talk about surgery options. So yeah. I think it's just going to take us women to kind of lean on each other and say, Hey, right. you, you need this. This is the person or Right. Exactly what we're doing right now on this podcast, yeah. just spreading mm -hmm. awareness and spreading the word and getting that out there. Right. Yeah. Because unfortunately, I think 
we kind of think like most things, kind of like when we have a, I don't know, a sinus infection or an upper respiratory infection. Like I have these symptoms. I should just walk into the doctor. He should say, da, da, da. Here's exactly what you do. And you just follow their directions and move on. Um, With endometriosis, it's not necessarily like that because there are, for one, there's no like completely agreed upon cause. And so there's not an agreed upon treatment. Um, And different doctors have different experience, different levels of knowledge with it, different familiarity with types of treatment and things that they are comfortable doing, not doing. Um, And so that is one of the main frustrations for women with endometriosis is trying to Uh, They kind of have to be much more of an advocate for themselves than we're used to being, um, especially in this kind of setting. And so it can feel really daunting and it can feel like um, we're being very extra (laughs) uh, when we're, you know, doing all this research on our own and walking into the physician's office. And then what we've been reading and studies and what they're saying, they don't line up. And so it can just feel frustrating and it can feel like you don't really know how to proceed. Um, and so that can be a really hard part about it, but there are, you know, physicians who are more familiar with it, who have really stayed up to date on research, um, and who can kind of direct in a better way. They're just not as easy to find as walking into your general OBGYN's office or your general, um, PCP. And so, you know, sometimes you kind of, kind of, you need some resources to think outside of the box. And so, you know, like I, I um, recommended you and all endometriosis clients, I have to check out Nancy's Nook um, because she has curated this list of physicians that are, they are experts in the field of endometriosis and excision surgery. And so if that's the course of treatment that's needed and chosen by the patient, um, then they are able to actually do that. It can just be hard to get in with them and they have long wait lists and sometimes they aren't in network with insurance. And so it's just, it's not an easy process, unfortunately, to, you know, get diagnosed in the first place and then get to some kind of treatment. Yeah. And one thing I would like to add when you said the word extra, like (laughs) that's totally how I felt this entire time, whether, and I think that's one thing that people may not understand about endo is that it's not just the pain. It's not just the symptoms. It's everybody looks at you and, and they're like, it's a period you're extra. Like, right. <laughs> and I'm like, well, maybe my pain, ta- it, you start thinking that you're crazy. Yeah. You start to question yeah. yourself. Yeah. Maybe I have just a low pain tolerance, but <laughs> yeah. Low pain tolerance, or am I just being super sensitive or so it does it, it messes with your uh, confidence in your what your own body is experiencing. What, is there anything else like that you feel like you've learned through this journey that you wish other people knew about endometriosis, either people with it or just people who, you know, maybe are, are more unfamiliar with it? Yeah, I think the, the big thing is it's, like I said, it's not just the symptoms and the pain that you may be experiencing. It's, you know, even your own family members, if they're not educated on it or don't know about it they're thinking she's crazy uh (laughs) why is she making this such a big deal why are we throwing money at this you know it can cause a lot of relational problems that you didn't foresee Mm -hmm. so um that's one thing and then you know I think just the big thing is a lot of women that I have talked to have no idea about taking care of themselves as far as not 
eating processed sugars and, and things, if they do have endo, that that's such a critical, you know, avoiding gluten and stuff like that. So there's a lot of facets, <laughs> a lot of parts right. to this. And, and unfortunately, that's what makes it so complicated. Right. Yeah. So complicated. And that's a great point, knowing that there are things that you can do to, again, not cure it, but to make it so much more manageable and to help your body function, you know, support your body's ability to function better, um, even with this, you know, condition going on. Um, That's great, Kelly. That's a great point. Well, thank you so much again for sharing your story and being willing to help spread awareness about endometriosis. And, you know, it's, it's our hope that these things help other women to get diagnosed, to um, recognize what might be going on earlier, that physicians will really rally around the research and, and um, help these women get the treatment and help that they need. So I really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. The next story I want to share with you today is from my friend Kayla. You're going to hear a lot of similarities between Kelly and Kayla's stories, especially in the symptoms that they experienced very early on in their teen years. And as a mom and just as a woman, it breaks my heart to think of girls that young having to experience that level of pain in a complete disruption of their lives. I've often heard endo described as just very intense or painful period symptoms. And as you will hear in both of these stories, that is certainly not the case. It is so much more than that. And so many symptoms that just are not normal to go alongside with a woman's period. And so if that is something that's been normalized to you, or you think that that's um, just how it is, and some women, you know, just have way worse symptoms, um, let these stories kind of help you realize that that is not true. While sometimes these things can be common, they're not normal. And usually it's because there's something else going on, even at such a young age, I would say, especially at such a young age, these are really indicators that there's more going on. And so um, I hope that their stories really help to educate and inform about what is considered normal period symptoms and what definitely is not. And as you will hear, these symptoms definitely are not normal. So without any further ado, here is my conversation with Kayla. Kayla, thanks so much for being here today and just being willing to share some of your story for Endometriosis Awareness Month. Obviously, we want to like spread as much knowledge and education and our experience as possible, so I really appreciate you taking the time to do it. Of course. Thanks for having me. So before we jump into kind of getting into like uh, your story, tell us a little bit about your background, who you are, what you do, all that good stuff. Sure. Um, I am a about to be turning 30, um, which I do not have a problem with. I'm telling myself that every day. You're going to be 30. <laughs> it's great. 30 is great. 30 is great. I promise. It's fine. Um, I am, um, I work for Pilot. I have been there just over, I guess, well, I guess actually going on two years this summer. can't believe that. Um, but most importantly is the last five months, I have become a foster mom. So I now have a little one that I am taking care of and mm-hmm. it's wonderful. It's challenging emotionally, but <laughs> yes. it is wonderful. So, yes. um, yeah, so a lot of my time is occupied 
with appointments and visitations and mm-hmm. doctor's visits and therapies and all of that. But um, I'm learning how to navigate those waters and yeah. it's going good. I'm enjoying yeah. it. Yeah, it's great. You're rocking it. Thanks. You're doing great. So in your story, your story starts very early on in your life. And so kind of like take us back to the beginning. When did you first start experiencing endometriosis symptoms and what was it like? Sure. So um, I remember, I think I was about 13 when I got my period. Um, I woke up that morning. I was in a lot of pain. I went to the bathroom. Okay, great. I've started. (laughs) And I went in there to my mom. It actually may have been in the middle of the night. I can't quite remember, but I went in there and I was crying and my mom's like, oh, it's great. You know, period. It's wonderful. And I'm like, no, this is not good. <laughs> good. The opposite of good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was crying. Um, and I really, honestly, I can remember thinking if this is what it's like to be a woman, I'm out. I don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my mom was like, okay, it's not that bad, Kayla. Like, yeah. Grow up. Pull it together, girl. Pull it together. (laughs) Um, But it actually was. And it honestly took a while before, I think, honestly, my family just thought I was being dramatic, um, which is possible. I could have been. (laughs) But but I remember specifically thinking, this is very painful. Nobody told Mm. me it was painful. My friends, when they had started, um, all kind of around the same time, we were all about the same age. And everybody's getting theirs. And um, I'm the only one that's like, this is terrible. Like, mm-hmm. I feel horrible. Um, so mine was primarily pain at that point. Um, honestly, my heavy symptoms didn't hit until, honestly, Lena, probably until you and I started working together. Mm-hmm. Because um, that's when things really started escalating. I think at that point I was 18, 19. Yeah, you're right in there. I, I vividly remember thinking like, this is not normal. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what, I didn't know what it was then, but I right. knew it wasn't normal. Yes. Yeah. So for the first few years, it was pain. Um, I remember baths, baths, even to this day, um, I love taking a bath, whether I'm in pain or not. I just enjoy mm-hmm. a bath. Um, but I would sit in the bathtub for hours trying to get the pain to go away. Mm -hmm. And I remember I got out of the bathtub one day, um, got dressed. I was probably 14 or 15. I, you know, I'd only had my period for a couple of years maybe. And I was walking into the kitchen to go find my mom. I'm crying. And I remember saying, mom, I don't feel so. And that was it. And I hit the door and I was gone. So my mom comes running in there, whatever I wake up. And I remember her saying like, Oh, this is real. You actually really don't feel good. Um, and I would say I have passed out from like my menstrual pain, probably three or four times, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point I know when I'm about to do it. So yeah. I'll just lay on the floor <laughs> and just <laughs> try to avoid it. Yeah. Um, but my mom took me to the doctor after that. Um, and I will say, my sister, my younger sister, Faith, she and I both have issues. Um, and we have both found that we get very frustrated with our doctors um, because it's just a lot of Band-Aids and um, not a whole lot of, honestly, not even a whole lot of listening from our doctors. 
So we went to the first doctor, um, and I don't even think she practices anymore, but we went to her and she just said, yeah, some people just have worse ones than others. And I can understand I'm 14 years old, whatever, you know, you want to kind of see how things play out. So we didn't really do anything. Um, And then you and I started working together at the chiropractor and then my symptoms really started getting bad. And Mm -hmm. honestly, since then they have probably just increasingly got worse since then. Mm So started with pain and now I would say now my symptoms are, um, well, (laughs) I like to, the day before I start my period, weigh myself. Um, actually I don't like weighing myself, but (laughs) (laughs) I like to compare the numbers. Uh So I'll weigh myself and then about my second day into my period, I'll weigh myself. And I usually gain about seven to 10 pounds, um, in swelling or water retention, Mm -hmm. So, um, a lot of swelling, a lot of bloating, um, which calls for a lot of stretchy pants. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have, um, I have a lot of heavy bleeding, a lot. Um, actually that is where, um, my biggest frustration has been is the pain and the bleeding. I would say, probably five times I've had to call, maybe more. I've had to call, I work in a male dominated industry. I have had to call on male coworkers and female coworkers to come help me because I have bled through everything. And it's not for a lack of preparing or um, knowing that I bleed heavily. Mm -hmm. It's just sometimes it just comes out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Um, So most recently was like last summer and I was at work and I, I could not leave the bathroom. It was bad. Mm-hmm. I had to give a male coworker my debit card and ask them to go buy me a pair of pants at Walmart and supplies. And wow. fortunately I work with some amazing men that mm-hmm. their wives are like, no, you do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, they did and they came back and helped me, but it is embarrassing and yeah. it is so frustrating. So, um, and then I have no appetite. I get very nauseous. Um, bowel movements are the worst. There's a mm-hmm. lot of pain and discomfort with that. Um, yeah, it's I have pretty much hit all the fun points yeah. <laughs> on yeah. my period with endo. It's um, it's it is it's embarrassing at times, and it is very frustrating um, to deal with, especially when. You're talking to other girlfriends and they're like, you know, just put a tampon in and let's go swimming. And I'm yeah. like, you wear a tampon. It hurts yeah. me to wear a yeah. tampon. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It's like, no, you just don't get it. Yeah. Exactly. It's very different. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you've alluded to this a little bit, but like, especially when you were growing up, you were a teenager and then even now as a, an adult, as a working professional and as now a mom, how do these symptoms affect your life. Um, it's funny, you know, you had asked me to do this podcast and the day, I think it was the day before, or, or I think it was the day before I had started my period. And I just told you that my symptoms really weren't that bad. Mm-hmm. You know, I just talked and I was like, oh, they've been okay lately. <clears throat> and I think I spent, I put the baby in daycare and I think I spent like two, two and a half hours in the bathtub um, very sick. 
very nauseous. Um, and then, I mean, I don't know how detailed, but a lot of time spent in the bathroom, a mm-hmm. lot. Um, and then when you asked me to do this, I'm like, well, I was going to have a little <laughs> lighter spin on things, but I don't know, like, back to being horrible again. Yeah. So um, it totally affects things. I mean, I, I can't leave the baby unattended, but I also can't leave myself unattended. Um, it's it's not as simple as just put a pad on, take some ibuprofen and go about your day. Mm-hmm. It's um, sometimes it's putting two pads on and mm-hmm. taking insane amounts of pain medication to try to get through the day. Um, I like to think I have a pretty high pain tolerance, so I don't feel like I'm being a wuss about this. It's, it's bad. So, um, I'm now on some prescription pain medication that, um, is non-drowsy. It's not narcotic or anything, but it allows me to get through it. And if I can stay on top of that pain medication, I can take care of what I need to Mm -hmm. take care of. Yeah. Um, still heavy bleeding, but the pain yeah. is, is manageable. Yeah. 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 That's, and I, there's been a couple people I've talked to as well and they're like, yeah, if, as long as I'm not so nauseated yeah. that I can't keep my pain medicine down and then that's where right. like it spirals really badly out of control. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like if you can't, <laughs> if you can't eat, if you can't tolerate medicine or anything like that, like what do you do? You well, know, it really leaves you in a bad spot. That's, that has been my mom. So my mom now, we can talk about this, and she's she understands now that her experience and my experience are very different. Right. Um, but one of the things that I have to do is I set multiple alarms throughout the night, and every four to six hours I wake myself up to take pain medication. And if I don't take it with food, even though I have pretty much no appetite, yeah, I will be sick. So mm-hmm. here I am at 2 o'clock in the morning waking up to an alarm, taking my medicine, eating some graham crackers or eating some Ritz crackers, something to go with it, drinking a lot of water so I don't get sick. Mm-hmm. And then by that time, I'm trying to go back to sleep and I'm kind of awake. So, and then I do right. it again in another four to six hours. So, right. and it may be an hour before I should really get up. And by that time you're just like, well, okay. I'm up. <laughs> I'm it is now. what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's just, yeah. it's so disrupting to like a normal flow of life for sure. Yes, that's exactly right. So how did you realize that it was endometriosis? How did you actually go about figuring out that was what was causing all of your symptoms? Sure. Um, Well, for starters, you and my friend Amy both um, had, I think, stage four, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I kept comparing my symptoms. And so finally, um, my friend Amy, she lives out this way. And I said, you know, I really need to get a diagnosis. I seem to be hitting all and even more of the checkpoint yeah. for endo, but I really need to get a diagnosis. So, um, we both started going to the same OBGYN and, um, that doctor said, let's go ahead and do a surgery. We need to get in there and see it in order to diagnose it. And I'm mm-hmm. like, okay. So we did that, um, and unfortunately, I had a, a really terrible experience with my doctor and my surgery, but when we came out, she told my mom, um, yeah, she's got at least stage three endometriosis, um, and then really gave me no roadmap from there. And in fact, that's 
I never, I have yet to speak to that doctor since my surgery. Um, Mm -hmm. So I have been left for the last two and a half years with this feeling of like, well, what did you find? What was there? What am I looking at? The only thing she conveyed to my mom is she'll probably have to have this surgery about every two to three years, Um, which blew my mom away because she was like, what? Um, So I think that was in 2019. um, And here we are today. I have since then switched doctors. Um, and now I have a great doctor, um, but she knew I was going to be fostering. So she gave me the option. Would you rather wait until you're kind of settled? Yeah. Maybe get through the summer before we do another surgery. And I opted for yes on that. So, um, right now we have just started a continuous birth control to hopefully just eliminate my period altogether. Mm -hmm. We both know that there's risk with that, that the hormones can feed endometriosis and cause it to grow. Um, but right now it's what makes the most sense to kind of bandaid the situation until I can actually take the time to have my next surgery. Yeah. Um, and then at that point, um, I have faith that she will share more with me about my case and, and where I'm at with things. Um, so yeah. 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 That's a great point that you make because, you know, um, for anyone listening who may not know, there's no cure mm-hmm. to endometriosis. So there's no end to it, unfortunately. Um, and cases still happen post-hysterectomy, post-menopause. So yep. there's just, unfortunately, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. And yeah. so this is an ongoing thing. So it's really a matter of managing it and figuring out how to uh, reduce symptoms, reduce inflammation, and mm-hmm. live as normally as possible and supporting the function of our bodies. Right. And we know that surgery has, to this point, been the most effective treatment for that. However, it's not always the best timing. Like, it doesn't yeah. always work out. And so um, it's a really good point of, like, you know, you definitely have very strong opinions on what people should and should not do. But sometimes that's a matter of timing. So for you, yeah. like, you could, there's no way you could be a new foster mom and recover from endometriosis surgery especially with having your family as far away as they are. Yeah. And I am single, so there's no partner to help me. (laughs) Exactly. Right. And so I think that's important to also remember is that there's a lot of factors that go into making a treatment decision with this. It's not just, okay, give me like the gold standard. Because sometimes the gold standard just isn't realistic, at least at that time. And so while it's super important to be very informed and educated on it, also sometimes life just takes over and you got to do what you got to do for a little bit to get through, you know? That's exactly right. So I'm glad you made that point. Yeah. It's, uh, we'll see how it goes in the fall. Um, I'm hoping by that point I'm very settled. I mean, I feel pretty settled at this point, but who really wants to have a surgery right before summer? And, right. <laughs> you know, I'm a, I'm a, a water baby. I love mm-hmm. to be ocean and in the pool. And, uh, I just rather, not have a period during that time, yeah. to be totally honest, and enjoy this time with the baby and yeah. then come this fall, do it. Yeah. So. Um, and I think it also matters like where you are in a journey of fertility. Like it, is fertility yes. super high importance for you right now? If it is, that's going to affect what you do. Yes. If it's not, then that's not quite as big of a factor. So I forgot to mention that. Um, and I'm as soon as I say these names, I know you're going to know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, 
when I was officially diagnosed um, and I went back into the doctor's office, the nurse practitioner said, well, um, I think the best treatment for you is going to be a depo shot or Lupron. And both of those for me are, I will not negotiate on those. I do not want them. Um, I think there's just too much risk that comes with them. Fertility is very important to me. I would love to be able to have um, a child or a couple down the road. And I want to reduce as much risk to my reproductive system as possible. So while that may be a great solution for some, it's it's not for me. I'm yeah. I do want to have children someday. So that's frustrating because you're already running the risk with endometriosis of having fertility issues and complications. And then you add um, two shots that basically shut down your reproductive system. They say temporarily, but there's been a lot of data that's come back that for one of those in particular, um, that's not necessarily true. Sometimes it's just forever. So, um, those were risks that I wasn't willing to take either. So then it really puts you in a bind and I don't qualify for Oralissa, which is a new drug that's supposed to help with endometriosis. My case is too advanced for that. Mm -hmm. So essentially I'm left with the option of, um, a birth control that eliminates my period each month or continuing to have the surgery every two to three years. Yeah. Or just dealing with the pain. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's very frustrating and and options are very limited. And so, you know, thankfully over the last couple of years, research has picked up on it. Um, I actually just saw yesterday, like there's been a new grant and a new funding bill to go into different research. So that's exciting. Um, I think that's something I think I read. They had been working on it for the past 20 years, trying to get that passed, maybe 10 or 20 years. Like it's been a long time. Um, and so I saw yesterday on one of the pages that I followed that that was actually passed. So hopefully that will produce some promising thing. But we also know that in the medical world, that means that will trickle down to the patient in about 15 years. Um, it's a very slow, um, go. And so that's why, you know, personally I push so hard, like educate yourself. You got to advocate for yourself. You got to educate yourself. You got to dig into the research yourself. And it is hard and it's frustrating and it feels like, why do I have to do this when everybody else doesn't have to do this? Yeah. But that's just part of that's part of it. You are your own best advocate. And mm-hmm. I remember a couple years ago when I was about to have that surgery for the first time, I was doing tons of research. I think you and I had even spoken about maybe diet changes, things like mm-hmm. that. And I was very in, very in on the research. Um, and is there any other solution? And then if I'm being totally honest, I don't have time right now to sit and research and try to find a solution. Um, I need a Band-Aid as bad as that is. I need a Band-Aid just to Mm -hmm. get through it. And it's, (laughs) I I know I'm not stupid, but (laughs) period each month, I'm like, thank goodness that's over. Like, I don't know it's coming again next month. (laughs) Yeah. So for like, you know, three or four weeks, I'm like, that was bad, but you know, at least we're done with it. And I'm yeah. kind of in this cloud nine phase and then yeah. it hits again. And I'm like, why didn't I deal with this? Why am yeah. I not getting to the root of this mm-hmm. issue? So, yeah. yeah. And I think that's super common. It's like, it's when you're in it, it's awful. And then you're like, okay, well that's over. And honestly, I just don't want to think about it again for the yeah. next three weeks. Like, I think that's a lot of it. It's like, yeah. I'm in a better place. Let's just tune it out. Yep. And then you're back and you're like, oh, darn it. Like, why did I not 
<laughs> Here we are again. Here right. we are again. Um, I, and I think a lot of it with endometriosis is such an emotional, mental yes. battle. You know, I mean, there's obviously the physical and the symptoms vary for everybody. Um, like mine and your experiences are very different. Mm-hmm. Um, but the mental, emotional part of it is not. You know, yes. like it's still we all kind of experience yes. the same roller coaster situation on that. And so, yeah, I really appreciate you bringing that up. What do you wish that more people knew about endometriosis? Mm-hmm. Whether it's people that don't have it, aren't familiar with it, or people that are dealing with the symptoms and don't really know what it is or anything about it. Honestly, kind of what we're talking about right now. Number one is bringing awareness. Well, my male coworker, his his wife, we went on a hike last weekend, you know, when the weather was like 80 degrees and not yeah. not what it is right it's now. Snow right now. Yeah. Yes. Um, but we went on a hike and she pulled me to the side and said, um, so basically I think I have endometriosis. Um, been talking to my doctor about it. Can you share your experience? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I would say number one, if you have endometriosis and you've been struggling with it, if you're comfortable sharing, um, you don't have to share as much as I've shared today, but if you're comfortable sharing, share with your friends. Um, and you know, I have a great, really, I have a very good core of guy cohort, men coworkers that I work with, um, all of which are married or have girlfriends, but we have a great relationship. I can talk about my cycle with them and them not be faced by it. They really are not. Um, they have been very supportive I think it is important for men to be educated on this for two reasons. One, so they can better support their partners or their the women in their family. Mm-hmm. And two, one big frustration that I have had is the amount of sick time I have had to take for my period yeah. is crazy. I would um, venture to guess we have some men making rules <laughs> on PTO and sick time and bringing awareness to this, um, not as an excuse to get out of work, but an excuse to take care of our bodies. You know, if we get a stomach virus, they're like, oh yeah, you're not gonna be able to think straight. Definitely go home, take care of yourself. Um, being able to have some flexibility with my cycle each month and work. Fortunately, I have a wonderful job where they do allow me that right now. Um, but there needs to be some awareness brought to this. Right. Certainly. Some more understanding. Yes. Of how complex, how painful, and how affecting it can be in yes. your day-to-day life. Yes. Well, I would say um, those, if you're thinking you may have endometriosis, certainly um, try to do some research. If you feel like you're not getting the answers that you want from your doctor, I urge you to find a doctor who listens, who sits and listens to what's going on and doesn't just write a prescription and send you out the door. Um, find someone who's willing. It may take a minute to find that person, but find someone who's willing to listen to your specific case and invest in you medically. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Um, and yeah, it might take more than one doctor and that's okay. And I think that also needs to be normalized. Like I think before, you know, growing up, I think about like my grandparents, like they've had the same doctor for 40 years, you know? (laughs) And while that's fantastic, that's great. And like, there's definitely pros to that. That's also not always, you know, I'm not Mm -hmm. suggesting you doctor hop, but 
Right. In some cases for any kind of chronic illness, not just endometriosis, like might take finding more than one or it might take building. I really highly recommend building like a care team of multiple providers um, because that way you get different experiences. You get different levels of knowledge and familiarity with this um, and can support you a little bit better. So don't feel like you're stuck or you are um, being super like difficult or overreacting or whatever. If you feel like you need to seek out a different position found this OBGYN that I have today. Um, I walked in her office. I had been so frustrated. I walked in her office. She sat down, she put everything down and grabbed my hands and said, talk to me. And I will tell you the first response I had was crying. Immediately. They started crying. And then she got teary eyed and she said, I'm here to listen to you. I'm here to listen to you. Um, That appointment right there pretty much solidified that I had found somebody who was invested in me. Mm. Um, so, and she takes her time in our appointments. So I'm glad that I did not settle. Um, and I found somebody who is going to work with me and my schedule and my life, um, to find balance and also to find some solutions. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Well, thank you so much again for sharing your story and your experiences. I know there's going to be lots of people that listen to this and can really relate with what you're saying, or they're going to be able to pass it on to somebody else that they know that struggles with it. So thanks for being here. Of course. Thanks. I'm so thankful for both Kelly and Kayla and their willingness to share their stories with you guys today. If you have endometriosis or know someone who does, please share this podcast episode with them. It is truly our hope that by sharing these stories, other women experiencing this condition will get the information and support that they need in order to make informed decisions about their care. And if you may be looking for more information about endometriosis, what it is, maybe my personal story with it, my most recent surgery experience, tips for pain management, things like that, you can find all of my past endometriosis episodes curated in one place on my website. You can find that at yourhealthforward.com slash endo. And please remember to subscribe so that you don't miss the next episode where I'm going to be featuring two more friends and their experience with endometriosis, as well as some exciting guest interviews that are coming up. So you want to make sure you're subscribed so that you don't miss an episode and please rate and leave a review for the podcast that really helps more women who might need this information to be able to find it more easily. So I really appreciate your support in that. As always, friends, keep moving forward, go love your people well, and I'll catch you next time. Please remember that the content in this episode is not to be considered as medical advice and is only intended as general health information. Thanks so much for listening in today. See you back here next week for another episode of the Health Forward Podcast.